In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We continue our series on questions Jesus asks, answers, voids. Last week we had a question that Jesus avoided, and indeed this is sort of still a follow-up to that. Uh, last week, uh, the Pharisees, the chief priests, asked Jesus by what authority he does these things, and Jesus says, I'll ask you a question. You answer me that question, I'll answer you this question. Um, you know, by John's baptism, was it of God, or did he just make it up? Pretty much, right? Or is it of men? And uh, they said, oh, yikes, right? We don't know what we want to say. We say of God, Jesus say, why didn't you listen to him? We say of men, then people might attack us because they thought John was a prophet, so they just said, we don't know. And this is, this is all in reference to uh, Jesus going into the temple and overturning the money changer tables and saying, you've made this house a den of thieves, and so they want to know, where did you get this authority? What is Really, they want to know, are you the Messiah or not? Just tell us plainly, but they're, they're sort of coy about it and beat around the bush and don't want to say anything. And so Jesus tells them, um, he says, I'm not going to tell you uh, where I get this authority either, but then proceeds to tell them a couple parables which make it very clear where his authority comes from. And so that's where we left off. And today we pick up right there because in case two parables weren't enough, here comes another one, right? He says, and there was a man who owned a vineyard and he went off and he had tenants and uh, he let it out. And every year when the harvest came, he'd send his servants to go get the harvest. And year after year, uh, they just beat him. And, and sent them away, wouldn't give them the harvest that was due. They thought it was theirs, um, out of sight, out of mind type of thing, right? That, that person's far away away, and they didn't have collection agencies or something, bad credit rating scores, they could just, you know, whatever it was. And so they, they just keep um, not giving the harvest, and again and again, year after year after year, the landowner um, sends servants to, to collect um, the harvest, and year after year they, they treat the servants badly, kill some, stone another. I don't know what the difference is between killing and stoning. Sounds, stoning is a special type of killing, I guess, uh, better than just normal killing. Uh, and and uh, finally, the landowner says, here's what I'll do. I'll send my son, they'll respect my son. And they'll, they'll, they'll finally give me the harvest. And uh, instead, they say, aha, here comes the heir. Let's kill him. Then the inheritance will be ours. Which I don't know where that thinking comes from. It's sort of illogical. But um, the whole thing's sort of illogical. Anyway, and so, and so here comes the question that Jesus asked, what? Will he do to those, those tenants? And the chief priests and the Pharisees respond, he will throw those wretches out and deal with them, you know, 
with judgment and then give the vineyard to other people. She's like, you obviously have not been listening, or you just gave the right answer, even though this is about you. But whatever it is, we can all see what's happening. And but it was the right answer, right? Exactly. And Jesus says, "This is right. This is back to the temple again. Again and again and again, God has sent prophets to you. Again and again and again, you've mistreated the prophets. If not you personally, then your fathers, your generation, your like, right? Your ilk, sort of like saying." Congress has been bad for all these years, and they're like, well, I just got here. It's not me. It's like, well, okay. Well, you and all your people have been bad for however long, whatever. God has dealt, dealt righteously, justly, and patiently over hundreds of years. And, and now the temple um, is facing its final sort of judgment. And the, the grace and fruit that comes from the temple is going to be taken away from you. It is going to be given to others. Have you never heard that the, the stone that the builders rejected has come, become the cornerstone? Have you never heard that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? That, so the temple is, is going away. The temple is being replaced by Jesus. So just like Jesus said, as we talked about before, no longer um, will you have to go on this mountain or that mountain in response to the woman at the well who says, should we, should we worship here or do we worship in Jerusalem? And he says, it doesn't matter. You know, the time is coming when you can worship on this mountain, this mountain, any mountain, wherever your heart is, there you'll find God. And Jesus is saying, in, in reference to your original question about authority and your hidden question about, am I the Messiah? I am the Messiah. I am the cornerstone. And I am going to replace the temple. Which is why it ends with, and they decided to go plot to kill him. Right? Because this is... Um, not only, not only sort of the, the challenge to their leadership, the challenge to everything that they stood for, but sort of the fulfillment of this parable to boot, right? It's sort of interesting. But it's a, it's a parable that, that underneath the judgment of everything, um, which is a, a parable of judgment for, for the leadership of Israel. But it also is a, a sort of incredible uh, parable of, of God's, God's faithfulness and righteousness that, that exists and occurs throughout all of the scriptures of which the God's incredibly patient. Again and again, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet God sends to the people of Israel. This, this sort of mirrors a song in Isaiah. It's like a a love song that turns into a breakup song in Isaiah 5 about my vineyard, my chosen vineyard. I love my vineyard, which um, is the other aspect of this. Vineyard always sort of refers to Israel anyway. And so uh, that's, that's here also as well. As they, were the, they were the tenders of Israel. But God, God like, sing this, this song about the, 
again, the religious leaders and the and the, the people of Israel who've rejected God and turned away from God's uh, paths, turned away from the commandments of God, and have, have done evil in the sight of God. And, and God says, and you're going to go into exile. Which they did. 250 years later, they went into exile. And so God is, is, is a faithful, right? He keeps waiting for repentance, waiting for turning back, waiting for hearts. God is not looking, at, unlike what many people think, just waiting for you to trip and screw up and go, ha ha, there it is. Good. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thou shalt not lie. I heard that lie. Into the cupboard with you, right? This is not who God is. God's not like that in the Old Testament. God's not like that in the New Testament. We have a God who, who longs like, like, like Jonah um, and the Ninevites. Remember that? Remember that story where, where Jonah just got mad. The reason, that, the reason that Jonah ran away to begin with is because Nineveh repented. And Jonah said, I knew it. I knew that if Nineveh repented, you wouldn't punish them. I knew you were a good God. I hate that you're a good God because I hate the Ninevites. And they should have been punished. And that's sort of what this parable is like here again. Two types, the same type of thing, right? We have, a, we have a God who's, who's generous and, and loving and righteous, but a God at the same time who, after a while, sorry, you, you are not delivering the harvest. Therefore, I'm going to give the harvest to others. And the others are not just, not just chief priests and, and scribes and Pharisees, not just other Israelites, but even other Gentiles. Other others, right, who don't, we don't want them to have it, but Jesus says, this is who's, this is who's giving, this is who's inheriting. Those who respond, those who, who long for the gifts of God, those who long to come to me. Which leads us sort of into, into uh, the Philippians passage today, where, where we have to at least, we always, we, it always happens, right? We start at 4B, because we don't want, we don't want to talk about the things that happen 1 to 3. But uh, Paul says, finally, my brothers, he's writing to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and out for those who mutilate the flesh. So we're like, oh, we don't want to say that, right, everybody. But but what he's saying is, there's the there's the the, the people of the religious elite, right? Who who while they believe in Jesus, now while they believe in the resurrection, they believe in the cross, they believe in all these things, still are like, yeah, but there's bonus points. You still need to be circumcised because if you're not circumcised, then you're really not part of the club. And so this has to happen, and so Paul says, stay away from those people. Um, they're not, they don't have your best interests at heart, and, they're, and, and basically just renounces this religious and spiritual superiority, which I'm sure none of you have ever encountered, right? There's no religious and, and spiritual superiority where, where um, 
you get bonus points um, for, for before God. Um, grace is free 100%, but we can always get 105, right? You, just, you never know. And Paul just says, look, let me just, let me just give you my resume. But if anybody has confidence to be, to rest on their spiritual resume, it's me. I was circumcised on the eighth day, Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, right? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the law, uh, as a Pharisee, as to righteousness, as blameless under the law. But whatever I had, I count it loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And rubbish, as we know, most of us know, is like really uh, crap but not even crap, that other bad word that begins with S, right? Um, it's, it's, we can't put that in the Bible, right? Sugar honey iced tea, right? Um, so, but basically Paul's just, he says, all this stuff is nothing compared to the grace and love that I know in Christ Jesus, which, which, in parentheses, has not led to, like, wealth, has not led to great health and, you know, a CEO's job and, and seven-figure income and all of these things. It's led to a prison cell where he's waiting to be executed. All of these things I count sake of knowing Jesus. I rejoice even as I sit here in prison. And, and that's sort of the power of, of, of what God has done when Jesus is talking about this new cornerstone that crushes and breaks those who fall upon it, crushes those who it falls on. It's, it's, it's basically it's a turning upside down of the world. Grace and light and truth of the, of the crucified Jesus who, who we thought we could put to shame and they thought they could, they could destroy. They thought they could silence instead has been risen from the dead and proclaims this grace and peace and truth and love and power to the world in which we rejoice that God has reconciled himself to us. And everything else, all the other spiritual uh, things that we've accomplished in our life are worth nothing compared to just knowing who Jesus is. Just knowing the power and love of God. Knowing that we have a God who longs for us to come into that presence, that kingdom, that joy. And so... Um, this day, um, we can sort of envision, right, while the Pharisees and the chief priests 
and the religious elite, and at times we have to confess even ourselves might be in that camp, go off to complain and to their little holy huddle again to see how we can destroy uh, the works of, of what grace and love is, um, a whole bunch of people are, are rejoicing in the power and strength of the love of God. For the vineyard has been taken away from, from some and instead given it to, to us, not because we deserve it. That collect for today, I can't remember it exactly, but that collect today is, is such a great collect, right? Um, we don't deserve all these things, but we, but God gives them to us anyway, right? Um, everybody's looking at it but me now. So, I'm like looking around and everybody's like, yeah, that was a good collect. Right? Right, we're, we're always more ready to hear than we to, you're always more ready to hear than we to pray, to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour upon us the abundance of your mercy for giving us those things which we're afraid to even ask for forgiveness for. And to give us those good things which we're not worthy even to ask for except that we have Jesus Christ who mediates for us on our behalf. I mean, it's even more poetic than that, but when we break it down, it's like we, we're so thankful that you give us all that we have. And most importantly, that you're ready to hear whenever we want to pray, but you're always ready to hear. And so, um, sort of end with St. Paul's thoughts, St. Paul's words of everything else I count as rubbish. All the things that we think are great. I was baptized, you know, at St. Luke's and confirmed by Bishop Hathaway and had uh, hands laid on me by Bishop Duncan um, and I was ordained to the diaconate here and the priesthood there. All those things are worth nothing compared to knowing Jesus and the love 